Turn your Bibles tonight to Acts chapter number 6. Acts chapter number 6. We are going to be, as part of our annual uh, business meeting tonight, uh, voting on the deacons, uh, you know, putting the deacons in place here at a church. And uh, we did the nominations this year. We don't do the nominations every year. Uh, we Last time we did it was in 2016, where we took nominations. And in 2016, I preached five weeks in a row on the office of a deacon and the responsibilities and the requirements and uh, the, the role and the rewards. Uh, we dealt with all of those things. Um, and we've kind of been progressing off of that. And I just wanted to remind uh, those that are serving in those positions, as well as the church as a whole, uh, this evening, what the requirements are for the office of the deacon, as we'll see here in the book of Acts. We'll get to in just a moment, Acts chapter number six. But uh, there's many churches that uh, they, they choose deacons uh, and decide to put somebody in office because they are well-respected or because they have a a uh, position in the church or they're recognized as being kind of an authority type person and and they've got maybe a position in society. Maybe they're very successful businessmen. And so obviously if they can run a business, then they can run the church and they're, they're chosen for maybe some of these worldly characteristics. But I want you to know the biblical requirements for a, a somebody holding the office of a deacon has nothing to do with those things. God consistently uses the simple things of the world to confound the wise. And it has nothing to do with their status in society and everything to do with their spirituality as a person. This is what we see taught very clearly in the Word of God, beginning in Acts chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 1, if you would follow along, we'll see these requirements listed here for us. And in those days when the number of the disciples multiplied and there arose a murmuring among the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business." But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Hey, look at that. They were all pleased. I hope you guys are pleased tonight. That's our goal. We want you pleased. Amen. Uh, the whole multitude was pleased. And they chose uh, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Pecnorius, and Nicor, and Timon, and Permanus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So we see here the word of God is furthered, the cause of Christ is expanded, the work is uh, accomplished in a, in a greater way when uh, men who are of godly and good report uh, serve in the capacity of a deacon, which is a servant in the church. And so we want to see, uh, just briefly tonight, we won't be long, but want to remind you of these. We see, first of all, that it's supposed to be a man that is of good report. Verse number three tells us that. 
that choose you out these seven men of an honest report. Men that are known and recognized to have uh, character about them. They have an honest report. They're, they're, they're recognized and acknowledged in the community, both in the church and out of the church, as being trustworthy, being honest in their dealings, taking care of their responsibilities everywhere they look. We see that they're supposed to be full of the Spirit, Again, in verse number three there, the Holy Spirit, beloved, we know is in every one of us that when we get saved, we have the Holy Spirit. But we also know, if you've been saved at any length of time, that at different times of our lives, we are more surrendered to the Holy Spirit than at others. And uh, the idea of being full of the Holy Spirit is that we are, uh, by and large, or the majority of our life, at, at least to the greatest extent that we can, humanly possible, we submit to the Spirit of God. We're letting the Spirit lead our lives. And that's quite a struggle for any one of us. To, to, to be full of the Holy Ghost, to be led by the Spirit in everything we do. And, and, uh, th but that's something that's required of somebody that's going to hold this office and, and be consistently yielding to the Spirit of God. And, beloved, it should be evident in their life. It'll be evident in the activities that they participate in. It'll be evident in their spirit that they have around God's people. It'll be evident in, in their life. It says, choose ye out from among you these men that are... Uh, have a good report and that are full of the Holy Ghost. Men that are yielded to Him, surrender to the Holy Spirit and fulfill and serve in this position. They're to be men of wisdom. Again, in verse number three, we see full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom. They should have discernment. They should have some wisdom about them. They should have some skill about them. We know that this is wisdom from above. This is the wisdom of God. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally. This is wisdom that God can and will give to anybody who desires to be full of wisdom. And we can seek God for wisdom. We ought to ask God every day for wisdom for our life and for the decisions that we have to make. And this will be evident in the wisdom that, that some people have. Sometimes, have you ever looked at somebody and uh, you thought, boy, that was a dumb decision? I don't say who, <laughs> but you, you, we've all, all been there. And sometimes we might even look at the mirror and say that. We might look in the mirror and say, boy, that was, that was dumb. Uh, you've done some real uh, humdingers, but this is right up there with the worst of them or whatever. You might, might even look at yourself sometimes and say, boy, I, I, I've made an unwise choice there. And so those people that we're calling upon to help serve in the church are supposed to be men that have wisdom about them, that spiritual discernment. We're not just talking here about common sense, although there is an aspect of it. Common sense is necessary, uh, you know, and it's needed, but it's wisdom of God. Wisdom from above, looking at things from a spiritual standpoint. Someone who's going to think biblically and think in and through faith when others would just think practically. So it goes beyond just a practical common sense. It also goes into what is the next necessary thing. In verse number five, these men are to be full of faith. Full of faith. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose out Stephen, a man full of of faith. We need to have men that are able and willing and ready, ready to walk by faith and not by sight. The fact of the matter is, is the house of God, the church of God is a living thing. It is, it is not a business. There are some aspects of the church that it is necessary to function and run like a business because you want things to be done decently and in order. 
that's, God would want us to do that. Even tonight, some of the things that we have to vote on is really just a matter of maintaining certain legal requirements as a church, as an organization that we're maintaining and doing properly and decently and in order. Um, but the church is not a business. And it can't be run wholly uh, as or looked at as a business. At, at times, God would call upon us to have faith and to step out. And there's things that maybe practically you look at and say, I don't know that that makes sense. It doesn't seem wise. Maybe that from a practical worldly standpoint, it wouldn't, we shouldn't take that step. But there's times when God calls upon the church to take a step of faith. And when you put your foot into the Red Sea, then God parts the water. But you got to take that step. And you pray for your, your pastor because this is an area where I've always felt that I was weak. I like to see it all before I take the step, amen? <laughs> Especially when we're talking about, you know, I mean, I like the idea of counting the cost and, and you know, setting forth and having a plan and making sure it's all going to work before. I, I, ha I have a problem with this so much that I put a, a statement on my bulletin board in my office that says, sometimes you have to get it rolling to get it right. And my problem is I want to get it all right before I take the first step. <laughs> And sometimes God's saying, hey, you just need to get it rolling. I'll help you get it right. I'll help you figure it out. I'll help you, you know, we need to have faith. And so we need men. And uh, I need some, some men that are serving as deacons that got some strong faith that would push me a little bit because I want to hold back. I want to be in reserve a little bit. You guys know how I am. I'm like, well, yeah, we're going to buy a van in five years. We're going to think about it and we're going to prepare and we're going to get everything. And, you know, we're going to look down the road. And, and I kind of maybe over plan when sometimes we should have faith and we need to exercise that faith. So um, then we see if you would turn to the book of Timothy, some of the requirements, very similar, but maybe slightly different in some aspects. In 1 Timothy, chapter number 3, verses 8 through 12, we see the requirements given here, uh, both to the deacon, and then it kind of goes a step further, and it kind of talks about the deacon's wife a little bit, uh, getting a little bit personal here, but uh, does address that, and so we'll, we'll look at it just briefly tonight. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, he says, Likewise, must the deacons, here very clearly, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience, and letting these also first be proved." Then let them use the office of a deacon, okay? Here's, I'm just going to throw this out here right here because we just read that. You don't, you don't give somebody a position hoping that they'll come around to doing it right. You don't, you don't find somebody that uh, occasionally comes to church and say, hey, uh, would, you, would you start being faithful to church? And if you will, uh, we're going to make you a deacon. no. That's not how, he says here, let them first be proved. There's an aspect of them proving their faithfulness to God. And, and these men have a testimony that everybody would be in agreement with. And that is supposed to be first proved. And then, he says there, and then use the office of a deacon. Okay, and being found blameless. And then it goes, verse number 11, talks about the wife. We'll get to that in a second. So, first of all, he says here, grave that they should be grave. This is dignified, uh, a person of, you know, a little bit of seriousness about them, a little bit of uh, just that um, decorum, 
um, you know, just grave in their demeanor, seriously minded. They, they command the respect of others just by how they act. They're, they're just not a goofball, okay? They, I mean, they, you're expecting them to lead people and to help uh, with the organization and serving the church. And so they, the requirement biblically is that they be grave or dignified, seriously minded. They're not to be double-tongued. Wow, how important this is in the ministry that you have men that are consistent in what they say. You don't want a man who's serving in the church and he's going to stand over here with the staff and talk one way or say one thing. And then when he's out to lunch with some church member, say something different. And then when he's talking to somebody here, say something different. You don't want, they need to be consistent in their conversation. Not just the manner of their conversation, but what they say. They shouldn't be double-tongued. They shouldn't stand here and say, Pastor, I'm with you. Bless God. You take the step and I'm behind you. You just go for it, preacher. And then later on, he's over here talking to these church members and saying, I don't know if pastor should really do that. Uh, maybe this is not the wisest thing. I mean, we might should check it out first. I mean, no, he needs to be consistent. If he doesn't think it's a good idea, he ought to tell me, hey, pastor, I don't think this is a good idea. I run things by the deacons. I ask them, what's your guys' advice about this? What's your, uh, you know, I'm looking for wisdom from you. What should I do? We need somebody that's man enough to, to speak up and say, listen, I don't think this is a good idea. That's why I'm asking. I want to know what we should do as a church. And there's, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. And that's what the deacons serve as. They help. They help with regards to giving some direction and some wisdom so that we are careful not to make unwise decisions. And then, so here he says, not double-tongued. So very careful about uh, that if somebody can be trusted and, and they're very consistent in their conversation. Uh, what they say obviously holds weight in the church and the deacon's got to be very careful how they say things tonight. Uh, you know, I told the deacons when we were having our meeting this evening uh, before church, I said, business meetings always make me nervous. I said, I get nervous because business meetings is just a place for Satan to get in. As it's just a place for Satan to get in. And I said, it's so, it's, I wish we could just do without them, but they're necessary evils. And, uh, you know, sometimes I just, I, I told them, I said, I mean, even, like me, I may even say something, I may respond to a question in an in, in improper way or not, I just inadvertently how I answer somebody in a deacon's meet or in a business meeting, now all of a sudden there's a problem that's been created. And just being very conscious of that, especially as deacons, they've got to be aware of the fact that what they say holds weight. And so they've got to have some wisdom about them when they're communicating with the church, whether it's in a business meeting or whether it's out and about, uh, just casually talking to people. Sometimes you say things and people think, well, they're deacons, so, I mean, what they say holds weight in the church. And so we've got to have some wisdom about how we speak. Uh, so not double-tongued, not given to wine. You guys know where we stand on this. It's very clear in the Scripture uh, that we're not supposed to be drinking alcohol, and we won't have any deacons here that are, that are drinking alcohol uh, regardless of when or how or whatever. That's just not acceptable behavior for a Christian, and certainly not for one that's holding the office of a deacon at Hunt Valley Baptist Church. Even the Old Testament priests and kings were required to abstain from intoxicating uh, beverages. Um, if you want to look that up, it's in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. Um, and so it's not to be given to wine. It's specifically described here as a requirement. Then not greedy of filthy lucre, verse number 8 there. Um, 
Listen, that's just not having an inordinate love of money, not after the funds, right? You want to be very careful that you don't have somebody taking up the offering and handling the finances of the church in some aspects that they're after a bunch of money, that they're looking for a payday somehow. Uh, you just don't want to, you know, put that temptation out there. There's just no reason for that. So you need men that that's not their goal in life is the accumulation of wealth and to get all that they can because that's going to tempt them. I think about Gehazi, uh, the, the prophet's uh, servant there. And, uh, you know, the prophet said, uh, nope, this is God. This, is, this was not me and we're not taking anything. And, and uh, you know, Naaman says, okay, and he leaves. But then Gehazi runs out the back door runs over there and says, oh, wait a minute, um, maybe we will take a few of those things, you know. Uh, that kind of mindset, that's where you don't want uh, deacons that are have that mindset and just looking for a way to somehow improve or better themselves. We've got to be very cautious about that, um, not greedy of filthy lucre. And then holds the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. Verse number nine there, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Now, they need to be sound in their faith and their doctrine personally. They need to know what they believe and why they believe it, be able to communicate it and express it to others. But the mystery of our faith, we know, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked about that a little bit uh, this morning when we talked about how uh, the, the Gentiles were presented with the mystery uh, of how that they weren't part of Israel, they weren't part of the agreement or the covenant, but that Jesus Christ came. And this is the mystery that now he is bringing them a means of redemption and providing that for them, that's the mystery of our faith, is the work and the power of Jesus Christ for salvation. Of course, we need to know for sure that we're saved. Obviously, a deacon of the church is going to be saved and baptized and a member of the church. Um, but beyond that, uh, you know, knowing what you believe with regards to that. And I think if we're going to hold the mystery of faith in a good conscience, um, that means that we're going to also be conscious of how much we're presenting the gospel. Uh, I don't think we can have a clear conscience holding the mystery of the gospel, the salvation of souls, it's here, knowing that the world is lost and dying and on their way to hell and never sharing it with anybody. I don't think you can exist and have a clear conscience about what you're doing if you're never attempting to give the gospel out. And so that's what he's saying here, holding forth the mystery of the gospel in a clear conscience. That means you're going to be a soul winner. You're going to be active in the outreach ministries of Hunt Valley Baptist Church. You're going to be active in soul winning and, and presenting the gospel and striving to bring people to Jesus Christ. That needs to be part of our goals and desire. And so somebody that's going to hold the office is going to be fulfilling that. In verse number 10 there, of course, we touched on this already, but they, they, they must be first be proved. The Bible tells us to lay no hands on a man suddenly. Um, don't be quick to just put people in positions and, and you know, sign them up and get them involved. And, and uh, you know, people need to be involved in serving the Lord, but there's positions that have a certain level of uh, importance uh, that require a level of spirituality and a level of consistency in people's lives that is necessary. And you want to be careful and cautious how quickly you just approve people or put people in those positions. You don't want somebody that's just been saved for a year. You don't want somebody that's, you know, uh, 15 years old. I mean, you, you, you need 
some of those requirements, which as we talk about the wife here, you'll see it can't be somebody 15 anyway, um, because they got to be they got to be married. <laughs> um, but these are the requirements we see in verse number 10, the idea that they're to be blameless. This is also a requirement found for the pastor, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. when We're talking about preaching um, that we're to be blameless and that is without a handle that, uh, you know, nothing's going to stick if somebody accuses you. So just how you handle your life. Now we see the husband of one wife here, verse number 12. Um, let me back up and read this here. Verse number 11 and 12. Even so must their wives, so there's some requirements given here, not just for the man who is serving in that position, but for the wife also. Let me tell you that, uh, gentlemen, your wife impacts you greatly. Your ability to serve or minister uh, is greatly enhanced or greatly hindered by your wife. Uh, the person that is working with you and serving with you, it's, it's your team and you come together. The Bible says you're one flesh. And so it is vitally important that uh, the wives of these men also be godly, godly women. And we see here, even so must their wives be grave. Again, the same requirement uh, but not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own house well. Now, these are a pretty strong list of requirements that are given here. But uh, for the ladies here, we see that she's supposed to be grave. The idea of dignity and dignified in her manner. Um, she should uh, have the respect of others. That the way she carries herself should command or demand respect. Her serious-mindedness, uh, her dignified manner would cause people uh, to respect what she says and be willing to, to follow her. And if, if in chance you were in leading a, a ladies' luncheon or leading a uh, baby shower or helping with some particular thing, the idea is that you're going to have some just your life is going to be in a place where people would be willing to follow you, okay? You've got that, uh, you know, that personality with a little bit of seriousness about you, okay? Um, grave. I could, I probably shouldn't say anything. Uh, I'm going to stop there. We should be grave. Uh, we should uh, not be slanderous, verse number 11. Um, so obviously here talking to slander is, is to be an accuser of another. Uh, you know, Satan is the accuser. And uh, we do not need a deacon's wife who lines up with Satan. Amen. That's not what we need in the church. And uh, so the, the, the wife of a deacon is not to be slanderous, not to be uh, saying untrue things with the intent to hurt. That's what slander is. It's, it's an untrue statement with the intent to hurt somebody. And uh, it is vitally important that uh, the, the wives of our deacons are very grave in their uh, manner and very careful in their conversation, uh, that they strive not to say anything that would certainly ever be untrue, but also that would be unnecessarily hurtful. We don't want to hurt people. This includes the idea of gossiping or backbiting or uh, any hurtful conversation, just uh, not slanderous um, We want to be careful that the deacon's wife's gift is not fault-finding. Um, some people feel that's their gift. Uh, and we've got to be careful that that's not what we're doing. Um, we ought to have a right spirit and address things with a good attitude. 
Um, so not slanderous. Sober, verse number 11, that is to be in control of one's mind and mouth, to, be, to think soberly. Um, you know, she doesn't always speak her mind, everything that she says. Uh, she's not uh, an airhead. Um, she's, uh, some of the girls were laughing, not an airhead. She's sober-minded, you know, and, and so that's important. Um, and then faithful in all things. This is so vitally important. Verse number 11, they're faithful in all things. This is the standard for the wife of an officer of the church, uh, somebody that's faithful uh, in, in all the aspects of their ministry. Uh, you know, you may look at a guy and, and say, boy, um, this gentleman would be great to have serving as a deacon. Uh, but then you find out that his wife, or you just know that she never shows up for her time in nursery. Just randomly for no reason. Like, why, why doesn't she show up? Uh, what, what happened? And, okay, sometimes she calls, sometimes she doesn't. Uh, things happen. She just... You look at that and, and you say, okay, well, it's time to practice. Uh, we got to practice tonight, and she's supposed to be part of the group. But for some reason, she didn't show up to practice. And I don't mean just once. I mean, obviously, things happen, and people get sick, and situations happen, and, and all of that. But I'm saying, over a course of time, if you're working with people, these things are going to come up, and all of a sudden, you realize, why is it that out of the seven practices we've had, this person only made it to one of them? Why is that? So when you're considering a man for a position, you also have to consider the, the mate that they live with because their mate impacts them and it impacts the church. And that's why very clearly here, as we are given the requirements of a deacon, at the same time, in the same section of verses, he says, even so must their wives be. And so there is some thoughts given there as to the wife of the deacon and how she is supposed to behave. Now listen, as we look at this, I can tell you that any man who is honest with himself, who's honest before God, would look at the list of requirements and they would say, you know what? I don't, I don't think I can do it. You're looking for guys that are wise, that are sober, that are full of the Holy Spirit, that are yielded, that are soul winners, that are committed. You know what? That's, that's too much. Any deacon worth his salt feels like he doesn't deserve to be there. And by the way, the same thing goes for the pastor. The requirements that are put on the position of the pastor are, are high. And any pastor who worth his salt is not going to say, oh yeah, I've got this. Uh, just ask me. I mean, no, no, they're, they're going to be in a place where they're saying, hey, I need the Lord's help every day to fulfill and do the call that God's put me onto. And so what I'm saying is if, if you surrender and say, you know what, I'm willing to do this and the church votes you in, understand nobody thinks that you feel like you're all that in a bag of chips. If you're honest before God, you'll say, you know what, I'd... I don't know why anybody would nominate me, to be honest with you, because I know me. I, I know who I am, and, and I, I'm just humbled that anybody would even consider me. Um, and, and just looking, looking at that, so I'm just saying that anybody that's really has a right spirit is going to say, yeah, it's not, I don't, I don't feel worthy to do it, I don't think I can do it, but we know if God calls you, he'll enable you to do it. And the church needs some men 
who will step up and fulfill that role. It's not saying that you're going to be perfect in every one of these areas. It's saying that in your heart's desire, you strive to be as good as you can in all of those areas. That you're working towards that. That you want to be that for God, for his glory, and for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So these are some things that are given to us. And so just a reminder to all of us, really, with regards to this position. It was, what, seven and a half years ago that we talked about these things and just wanted to remind you what the Bible says about the requirements of those that fill that position as we tonight are going to be voting on deacons to fill the position for us as a church. Um, Kind of teaching tonight, certainly not a lot of... uh, place for personal or individual application. Uh, but uh, why don't I close this in prayer?